This is the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church Reno, we love God, love others, and make a difference. For more information, visit lifechurchreno.com. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message impacts you. Great to see you guys. This morning, if you're joining us online, thank you so much. Last week, we kicked off our Christmas series for the year, and we're calling it uh, The Weary World Rejoices. It's from a line in one of my favorite Christmas carols, O Holy Night, where it says, uh, the thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. Last week, we talked just a little bit about this whole idea of weariness and how, uh, in, in a sense, it's just part of the human experience. There's moments where we experience more of it and less of it. There's kind of this, we talked about how many of us, even the last couple of years, might be experiencing even more weariness than, than normal, but what I want us to focus on these next few weeks is, is how does the truth of Christmas and all that it means give us the ability to rejoice, to have kind of overflowing, overwhelming joy, even in the midst of a weary world? So if you have your Bibles, go over to Matthew chapter one. Today I wanna to talk to you about how, how these, these prophecies about Christmas that are fulfilled in Jesus coming at Christmas, these promises of God fulfilled at Christmas, how they are cause for so much joy in our lives every day. Matthew 1, verse 18, it says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah, or Jesus Christ, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place, and so now Matthew is referencing this prophetic piece, how this was prophesied in the Old Testament. Because all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Now he's going to quote from the book of Isaiah, which was written 700 years before Jesus came. It says, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. And so we see here as Matthew is recounting the, this, the account of the birth of Jesus, he ties it back directly to one of these Old Testament prophecies about Jesus. And so here, here's why we can rejoice. We, we can rejoice because of these fulfilled prophecies about, about Jesus, but because it gives us confidence that Jesus is unique in all of human history, that there's never been anyone before like Jesus. And so there are these unique prophecies. We see this one that was written 700 years before Jesus. We see another very clear one written about around the same timeline in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, talking about where Jesus would be born. It says, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah. And so he's saying, hey, the, the Messiah is going to come from Bethlehem. And Bethlehem was a nothing town that nobody would have expected. It'd be like if you said, the Savior of the world is going to be born in Goldfield, Nevada. You'd be like, Goldfield? Anyone here from Goldfield? Good. There was one person last service that had to publicly apologize. 
It says, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for, come for me, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. And uh, kind of, if you kind of dig into language, they're really kind of speaking more of, of this kind of, kind of the uh, eternal nature of this Savior. And so we see these like super clear, very direct references to the birth of Jesus um, in the written 700 years before Jesus would come. But we even see it, even older ones, one, one other kind of one of these foreshadowing references to Jesus coming. We see in Genesis chapter 12 in the life of Abraham, and this is about 1800 years before Jesus would come. And, and it's kind of the founding of the Jewish people. God's making this covenant with Abraham, all of these promises to him. And then he says, I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. And so God's telling Abraham, you're gonna have these, this nation that's gonna come from you. And out of this nation, though, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. It's this foreshadowing of Jesus ultimately coming. We, I, we actually see the first of these foreshadowing moments, uh, kind of looking towards Jesus coming. We, we see it all the way back in the garden. After sin enters into the world, and, and there's this curse coming on all the things, and the specific curse on the serpent or, or the devil we see here in Genesis chapter three, verse 14. It says, then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman. Now you read that, this kind of curse of the serpent, the snake. He says, I will put hostility between you and the woman. You might think initially, that's why women hate snakes so much, but that's, that's not, it means more than just that. One person thought it was funny. I like you, buddy. And so, uh, but then it, keeps, it goes another level here. And he says, and between your seed and her seed. Speaking of the woman, and he says, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Now, two unique things about this phrase that goes all the way back to the garden is, is one, in, in all of the Bible, you never see women being referred to as having seed. You said men, it's, men are talked about like that, and, but never do you see women talked about that. It's sort of this foreshadowing to this virgin birth that there's going to be the seed of the woman. And it says, and you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. Now, listen, if you get hit with a bat on your heel, nobody likes that, but it's probably not going to kill you. I mean, it would hurt. It would be terrible. And I, I think that we can arrange it, but, but it's, it's not going to kill you. But if your head is crushed, that is a fatal blow. And so there's this picture, so talking to the devil, there's gonna be this virgin-born one, the seed of the woman. You're, you're gonna get a good lick in, talking about the cross. He says, you're going to, to bruise his heel. There's gonna be this, 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 this pain inflicted, but, but he's going to crush your head. And so we see this foreshadowing, virgin birth, the pain of the cross, and then the victory of the resurrection, crushing the head of the enemy. And so we see over and over and over again, all of these prophecies, there's hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament related to Jesus, and, but there's, they can't all come together by, by chance. The fact that God has fulfilled all of these promises, all of these prophecies, and the person of Jesus just shows us the uniqueness of Jesus. Never anyone like him. No one's gonna come like him. The, the eternal Son of God, God becoming man, taking on human flesh to save us from our sins. In fact, there was a 
a, a professor of mathematics named Peter Stoner. He took eight of these prophecies, and he had his, his uh, students do a study of the science of probability, of how could one person randomly fulfill simply eight of these specific prophecies about Jesus. And the number that they came up with was it was a one, not, not one in a million or one in a billion, but one to the 17th power. One with 17 zeros. Now, one with, uh, with, with 10 with uh, two zeros is one in a thousand. 10 with four is, is one with a hundred thousand. Five is a million. Eight is a billion. 10 with 11 zeros is one in a trillion. And then you add six more zeros. It's a bigger number than we can say. This idea that, that the, the fact that these promises, these prophecies fulfilled in Jesus, we can have joy even in a weary world because it gives us incredible confidence in the uniqueness of Jesus. In fact, statistically, it would be similar to the, the equivalent of covering the entire state of Texas with silver dollars, two feet deep, marking one of these silver dollars while you scatter these, these silver dollars all across Texas and then one person just going and just pulling that one out first try, the one that was marked. It's statistically impossible. And so we have joy even in a weary world because Jesus, these prophecies show, he's the most unique figure in all of human history because God kept his promises at about Christmas. I can have confidence in who Jesus is. But it's not just that. Because God kept his promises about Christmas, it shows me that God can be trusted, that God's character can be trusted. You ever have, we all have two different kinds of friends, right? Do you have a friend that's just prone to outlandish statements, or maybe someone you know or see on TV, that, that just says lots of things, maybe big, grand, bold statements, but when they say it, you're like, Pretty much that person lies all the time. Pretty much every time a politician talks, right? You're like, they're saying it. It ain't going to happen probably. But then we have other people in our life, maybe your spouse or your dad or your grandma, just a really close friend, that, that when they say something to you, no matter how outlandish it sounds, no matter what a bold statement it might be, if they say it to you, you just believe it because you know their character, because you know their track record. They have a track record of keeping their promises. They, they, their character can be trusted. And, and the fact that God kept all these promises, these prophecies came to pass about Jesus, about Christmas, what it does is it gives us confidence in the character of God about every single promise that he could ever make to me. It means that God's character can be trusted. We see in Numbers 23, 19, it says, God is not a human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? See, these fulfilled Christmas promises bring us joy because it means that God's character can be trusted, that all of these other promises that he's made to me, I can bank on those. I can build my life on those. Now, different people count the promises in the Bible differently. A conservative number would be that there's at least 1,260 promises in the Bible. The Bible's filled with these promises. I want to take a minute and show you in 
one chapter of the Bible, simply one chapter. The Bible's got all these other chapters. I wanna show you one chapter of the Bible, and that simply the promises that are in that one chapter are sufficient to build your entire life on. Let me show this to you. In Romans chapter eight, let me show this to you. Let me show you these promises. Let me show you 10 promises from one chapter that, that are enough. If these are the promises God has made to us, they're game-changing. It says, therefore, talking to the Christian, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It says, this promise that I don't have to go through life fearing God's punishment if I'm in Christ Jesus. Because Christ, through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. I'm no longer under this law that the, that the wages of sin is death because Jesus has died in my place. I don't have to go through life fearing punishment if I'm in Christ. That is a, a game-changing promise. We see another one a few verses later, and it says, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. So this promise that, that the Holy Spirit's living inside of us, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is giving supernatural life to me and this life and then ultimately eternal life. A few verses later, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. This game-changing promise that, that we have been made children of God. God. Now, if you, someone, someone, someone cares. And so uh, if you, uh, it's a game changer. Imagine this. Now, obviously, we all love our actual fathers. But imagine tomorrow you found out that Jeff Bezos, you were his long lost child. Other than the awkwardness with your dad, suddenly you're like, my whole future has changed. I'm about to get paid. He says here, he, he says, you're not just God's children, then we are heirs. This is, even this simple promise is enough to build your life on, the fact that, that God has made us his children and that we are heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. It, it's this game-changing promise. We see it in a few verses later. This is this 10 promises in one chapter, over a thousand more. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Here's this amazing promise. The Holy Spirit helps us pray, and the Holy Spirit prays for us. It's this amazing promise. And then we see here, verse 28, one of my favorite promises, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. This promise that even when life's not going as planned, even when I'm experiencing pain and things that, that I never should have experienced, that God and his wonder and his sovereignty and this mystery, that he has the ability to bring good even out of the worst things in life. It's a game-changing promise. And then it says a couple of verses, one verse later, for those who he, God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. This promise that one day we're going to become like Jesus. We're gonna be fully conformed to the image of Jesus. Game-changing promise. And then it says, verse 32, he who did not spare his son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? So the God who has all the things 
has made us his children, has made us his heirs. And then he says, he's gonna, why wouldn't he? He gave us his own son. He's not gonna hold out on you. It's a game-changing promise. Verse 37, and all these things were more than conquerors through him that, that loved us, who loved us, those moments in life where I just feel defeated, I feel so weary, I don't know if I can keep going. There's this promise that in Christ, I'm actually a conqueror. And then verse 38, one of my favorite couple of verses here, he says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. What Paul here is saying is that there's nothing natural, there's nothing supernatural, there's nothing that has happened, nothing that will happen. And he says, in all the things, he says, we'll be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He says, no matter what happens to you, no matter what happens to you, nothing can separate. This is one chapter in the Bible with 10 promises that, that if that was all, this is all we got, and that because we see that God keeps his word with these promises, these prophecies about Christmas, we know that God's character, that he is a, a truth teller, he's a promise keeper, and, the, and that if God can be trusted with Christmas, he can be trusted with all of this and more, that I can believe every single promise that he has for me. Here's the third reason that the prophecies about Christmas, these promises about Christmas, give me joy even in the midst of a weary world. Here's what it is. One day, the weariness will end. We see here in Isaiah chapter 11, you know that there's eight times, there's eight times as many references in the Bible to Christ's second coming as there are his first. Eight times as often does it talk about Jesus coming back as it does talk about Christmas coming. And we see it at 17 times in the Old Testament books, 23, 17 different Old Testament books talk about this moment, this day of the Lord, 23, talk of, in the New Testament. Let me show you Isaiah 11. Again, written 700 years before Jesus came. It says a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. What we see here is another kind of reference that kind of points us even towards Christmas a little bit. He says there's, there's gonna be one coming from the line of Jesse. And that's a couple hundred years after King David that this is, is likely written. And, and he says, is again, referring to that this Messiah would come from the line of David. It refers to David's dad, Jesse, here. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he'll give decisions for the poor of the earth. He'll strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. And the last half of this, of this prophecy is talking very clearly about that moment when Jesus will come back and make everything that's wrong in the world right. Let me show you this language here. It's fascinating. He says, the wolf will live with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the goat and the calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear and their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox and the infant will play near the cobra's den and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. So what's he saying there? He's saying there's going to be a time 
when everything that's violent in this world will go away, when everything that brings pain and suffering and death in this world will go away. He says the wolf will, will lie down with the lamb. He says right now, if a wolf sees a lamb, he just wants to kill it and eat it. That's, that's, that's the way of the world. And then he says it's, it's, it's going to be this, it's, everything's going to be different. The world will no longer be weary and it'll no longer be violent. No, no more natural disasters like we even just saw yesterday and Tennessee and Kentucky, terrible natural disasters or the wildfires that we've seen here. There's going to be a time where none of that, he says, to the point where, where you can just let your little baby play with a cobra. You do that now, they're calling CPS on you. You're going to jail. He says, but there's going to be a time where the world will no longer be weary. There will be no more natural disasters. There'll be no more violence. There'll be no more pain and suffering and death, no more sickness, sadness, or crying. And then he says this, verse 9, he says, they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. I love this last line, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This moment, we, that why, why does the fact that God kept his promises about Christmas give me joy today? Well, because it means that Jesus is the most unique person that's ever lived. I can place my confidence in him. It means that I can trust God to keep his promises to me. And that it means that if, if God kept his promises about Jesus' first coming, if he made eight times as many about his second coming, I can have confidence that Jesus is going to come back and the world will no longer be weary. There'll be no more cancer and there'll be no more divorce and there'll be no more orphans and there'll be no more depression and there will be all of that will go away. Everything will be made right because God kept his promise about Christ's first coming I have confidence that he will keep his promises about his second coming. We can have incredible joy, even in the midst of a weary world. We're always hearing about a new strain of the virus and the vaccine works or it doesn't work or you got to get extra. Is inflation going to make us all poor? Spend $1,000 for a loaf of bread. Don't start hoarding up the bread. Weary. But even in the midst of a weary world, because God kept his promises about Christmas, I can have incredible joy even in the midst of it all. Jesus means all of this and so much more. The verse we looked at last week, when he says, come to me, all you who are weary. Jesus knows that we all have some of that. And burden. He says, come to me all who you who are weary and burdened. See, Jesus came to take away our burdens. See, when, when Jesus came, he lived the perfect life that we could never live. What he does is he takes away this burden of, of, of trying to live up to perfection because none of us can. Jesus lived the perfect life we never lived. Jesus died the death that we deserved to die. In doing so, Jesus took the burden of our sin and our guilt and our shame. And then he rose from the dead. In doing so, Jesus took the burden of going through life fearing death and what's going to happen when I die and where am I going to go when I die. Jesus, I've come to take your burdens. He says, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
I wonder if some of you, when Jesus says, come to me, some of you, today's the day where, where you're going to come to him for the very first time. He says, come to me and take my yoke upon you. What he's saying is, he said, I'm gonna take all these burdens you've been carrying. Jesus took them in, in our place. And he says, and take my yoke upon you. What he's saying is he's saying, join up with me. In a sense, what he's saying is he's saying, begin to live life my way. When you're kind of yoked up, this image of two animals yoked up, if there's one that's the, the stronger leader, the other one's kind of, they're going where the other one's going. And then what we're, Jesus is saying, take my yoke upon you. I'm gonna take these burdens you can't bear upon myself. And then you're going I, I, to begin to live life under my authority and to live life my way. We might think of it as giving God the steering wheel of, of your life. And I wonder for some of you, if maybe this is the first time you're hearing some of this, maybe you've heard this all of your life, but there's something today that seems different. There's a light that's going on saying, when Jesus says, come to me, you know he's talking to you this morning. I want to give you a chance to do it. Let's pray. Good news is Jesus has taken our burdens. The burden of trying to live a perfect life, this burden of perfection, Jesus lived the perfect life that no matter how hard we try, we never could live. And this burden of going through life with sin and guilt and shame and regret, because we've all blown it, we've all done things we shouldn't do, thought thoughts we shouldn't think, said things we shouldn't say, and Jesus on the cross took the burden of all of that. And when he rose from the dead, he took the burden that so many people carry around, especially these last couple of years of, of when am I gonna die? What's gonna happen when I die? This whole fear of death, when Jesus rose from the dead, he took away this burden of fearing death and what happens after. And he says, come to me. And maybe you say, well, how do I do it? The Bible is pretty clear. There's really these two big things. The first thing is to believe, to believe that Jesus is the son of God, to believe he died on the cross for your sins, to believe that he rose from the dead and really to believe that he's your only hope. And the second word the Bible uses, this word repent, and what that literally, what that literally means is to say, God, I don't want to keep living life where I'm in charge, doing my own thing, going my own direction. But the best, best I know how, with your help, I want to turn from my sin and I want to follow Jesus, really give him the steering wheel of your life. And some of you, maybe you've done some church stuff over the years, but it never felt real. Maybe you're hearing this for the first time, but there's something inside of you that's saying, this is what you need to do. Something inside of you saying that you've never heard anything more true. Something inside of you when Jesus says, come to me, you know he's talking to you. And I just want to give you a chance to say yes to Jesus. If you've never given your life to Christ, I want to give you that chance right now. I'm going to pray a prayer out loud, and you can pray something like it quietly in your heart. It's really less about words we say and more about just what's going on inside of us. But there could be power in having a memory, a moment where you know you did business with God. And so if that's you this morning, if you say, I need to give my life to Christ. I need to become a follower of Jesus today. Something inside of you saying, this is what you need. I'm gonna pray, pray out loud. You can pray something like it quietly in your heart, something like this. God, I need you. And I do believe that Jesus is your son. 
And I believe that he took the punishment I deserve on the cross. And I believe that he rose from the dead. And God, I believe that he is my only hope. And I don't want to keep living life where I'm in charge. But I want to follow Jesus. Give him the steering wheel of my life. I want to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. God, even right now, would you come and live inside of me and take control of me in the person of your Holy Spirit? I wonder, with our heads still bowed and eyes still closed, I wonder how many of you would say, you know what, I just prayed that prayer and I really meant it for the first time in my life. I just gave my life to Christ. If you prayed that prayer with me, it's just you and me. No one's looking around. Because I would invite you, just where you're seated, just raise your hand and look up at me. Let your eyes be mine. Just raise your hand and look up at me. I see you over there, buddy. Anyone else who say, you know what, I prayed that prayer and I just gave my life to Christ. Just raise your hand and look up at me so I can see your eyes. Anybody else who say, you know what, I just prayed my prayer. I see you there. Anybody else who say, you know what, I just prayed that prayer to give my life to Christ. Just look up at me and raise your hand a little bit so I can see you. I see you there. Anybody else? I see you in the back there. I see you there, sir. Anybody over here? I see, I see you over there. So grab, see both of you. Anybody else? So Father, I know that you see these hands and you see these eyes, but God, I know that more than that, you see these hearts. Lord, I pray that these folks, Lord, would chase after you and follow you for the rest of their lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Dave. Yeah, the Bible says, hey, if one person gives their heart and life to Jesus, man, all of heaven celebrates and parties, right? So one more time, let's celebrate for these guys who made that decision. That's so good. That's what it's all about. Hey, if you did make that decision, I just want to make you aware of something uh, that, we, that some of the staffs worked really hard on. If you go to the church website and scroll all the way to the bottom in the footer, there's a button there, a little tab that says New Believer. And if you'll click on that, it takes you to a page that's got all kinds of resources, books, uh, reading plans, all kinds of resources for, as you kind of begin this new life, this new journey, this new walk. And so please take advantage of that. There's some really good stuff that you can there. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this, and we'll see you soon.